Well, Ty, I was thinking just kind of dive right into the, the mental side of, of this. Um, I, I find it so fascinating because it's something I've struggled with is the mental game. Um, and it's just my mind and understanding how my mind works. So for you, when, when does this kind of, this curiosity arise about mental toughness, mental training, uh, competitive mindset? So I grew up roping. And so that's, that's, you know, that's what I love doing. And I read my first performance psychology book when I was in high school and it was called the inner game of tennis. And a lot of like, that's kind of the granddaddy of performance psychology. And I, I don't know why I read it. I think that because, you know, you, there's a stigma of, of the mental game, you know, and, and everything. And, and that, um, sports psychology was, you know, um, I don't know, something I was kind of interested in, just sciences and psychology in general was something that was was interesting to me. But so I read that book and then it kind of enlightened me that you can train your mind. And that was where it, it started. And so I was in high school and it kind of started off by saying, have you noticed that the most talented people don't always win? And sometimes the more talented people um, with a better skill set, don't, don't win or don't win in high pressure situations. And it's like, yeah, you know, raise my hand. <laughs> like right. I've, I've totally bombed out when I shouldn't have. And that's what got my attention. And so that's what started it. And then it just, the more I learned about it, the more interested I got in it. And I just continued to follow that path. I never thought I would, you know, start coaching or doing anything like that. I just learned, I wanted to, to know for me, because I wanted, I mean, roping was what I was doing. I wanted to make the finals. I wanted to follow that same route that most people want to do. Right. And, um, and, and so it just started as something for me to, to get a competitive edge in. Right. So Inner Game of Tennis, actually, that was the first book I read. Second one would be the, oh, I'm drawing a blank. But anyways, it, it was really profound when they talk about subconscious and conscious mind working. Is that kind of the first aspect of like the mental side of things and how mental performance came out was how your subconscious mind wants to, or your conscious mind wants to run and control things and your subconscious is kind of what reacts and mm -hmm. is closer to like flow state, right? Yep. Was that, I mean, for me, that was really the profound Thing of okay, I need to learn how to bring forth my subconscious mind, but also have it trained, right? Yeah. Was that similar for you, or what did you kind of? Was that one of the first things with like mental training that you found? That's exactly the first thing that I noticed that I got out of the inner game of tennis was the way Tim uh, Galway breaks breaks it down is self one and self two, and self one is the controlling. I'm trying to do it. I'm trying to have my tip in a certain place, deliver a certain way. I'm trying to control this thing. Um, and it's, it's also self one is, is the one that's determining this is good. This is bad. Repeat this. Don't do this again. You know, and, and I'm not saying that we, we don't pay attention to these things, but the performer self or self too is the self that comes out when you're like in the zone, when you're not thinking about it, when you just, you can't miss you, everything is just going right. And that's what we want to be in. But the more you try to be in that, the further you, you get away from it. 
So learning how to really kind of comes down to directing your focus on specific things. It's like self one or the, the part of you that that's trying to give instructions and critique. It's funny. I think of it like the vision I have is like a little kid that if there's a little kid out in your arena and you wanted them to sit there and, and just while we talk and you wanted them to sit there, you could say, you could give them all these instructions, sit there, be quiet, don't move or, or whatever. And it might work for a while, but what maybe a better strategy would be is give them a toy to play with so that they're distracted. And then when they're distracted, they're more likely to just stay there. And so if you can give self one something to think about, then self two or the performer self, the subconscious, the whatever is more likely to be able to come out. And so if you can give self one like this instruction, like, okay, and it's something that's within your control. So for me, healing, if I watch the feet around the corner, I was more likely to ride the position that I wanted to ride. And I was um, more likely to be ready for a quicker throw as opposed to just watching the head rope go on and just seeing the steer as a whole turn. And, you know, so that was something I could do that was within my control. Watch the feet around the corner. And if I could focus on that, my position, my swing, my delivery, everything else was more likely to take care of itself because of all the repetition and the training that I'd put in. And then self one's out of the way. Self one's distracted with its toy, right? Like the kid out there. And it's thinking about something that will help. It will help the run come together. So you're not just distracting yourself with something that doesn't matter. If I do that, I have a better chance of doing my job and letting everything else take care of itself. And that's what I got. That was the main thing I got from inner game of tennis. Right. Me, me as well. Um, so to summarize that you're focused on, but not thinking about. Yes. Correct. Like, Correct. so I'm focused on a task that like for, for you, it might be following the feed or, but it allows you to, to feel where you need to be position wise, or maybe see where the steer's going and understand and, if you're feeling your horse, but it like puts you in the moment, right? Yeah. yeah. It allows you to respond with what you've trained yourself to do. This doesn't, you know, we're talking about now, once, once you've roped and you, you know what to do, you just need to get out of your own way. This, that, that's one way to do that. So it's, it, it's coming down to directing your focus basically. Do you think mindfulness is important, like an important practice or plays any role in that? I think it's where I start. Anytime that I've ever worked with anybody, that's where it has to start. Because so mindfulness is basically being right here, right now, being very present and also being aware. Um, if, so you can, you can train your mind. And we can train our craft, which as we're talking about is team roping. You can train your body and you can train your mind. And to train your mind in order to, to actually know what to train, you've got to have the awareness of right here, right now, I have the ability to do training. And if, if we can't right here, right now, think, how do I want to respond? Like choose the response that I want instead of just react with what comes natural. 
then you'll never make the different choices that then roll into different habits. So you've got to have awareness, which to me is mindfulness. I think that's where it has to start. Right. Absolutely. What are some ways of practicing mindfulness or, you know, like, especially let's just put it like a situation, like a, a good time to figure out if you're mindful is in a high pressure situation. And do you remember like sight, smells, feel like what, what do you, what are some ways of practicing mindfulness, especially when pressure is applied? So mental skills training is really similar to, I'll answer your question, but I got to start. Yeah, no. So, okay. So mental skills training is very, is, you know, really identical to training a physical skill. So when you're learning to rope, let's just say you want your, you're learning to rope, you start off on the ground roping the dummy. Everything's very controlled, very slow, about as simple as it gets. You can stand where you want to stand, swing how you want to swing, whatever, and you're just learning the basic fundamentals. And repetition is the mother of all skill, right? So you, you swing, you deliver, you see what happens, split the horns, why do I split the horns, you know, whatever, make adjustments, do it again, repeat, repeat, repeat. As you get better at that, then you increase the level of difficulty. Then maybe you sit horseback and rope the dummy. And then maybe you start having someone pull the dummy horseback and then you start slow cattle and everything. You go through this process and the better you get, you add complexity to it. So mental skills are the same way. What's interesting about mental skills is people think that because it's in your mind and you read something or you learn something and it's like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes total sense. Because it's a mental skill and it's in your head and it makes sense that now all of a sudden you should just be able to do it. And I, I think like the example I use is if I never wrote before and you've got a dummy set up here and you show me exactly where to stand, how to swing, how to deliver, how to pull my slack, everything crystal clear. And they say, now here's the rope and do it like me. I could be like, yeah, that makes total sense. I know exactly how to do it based on the way you explained it. And I've seen you do it. But for me to do it just like you did because you explained it to me and it makes sense, I haven't put in the work yet. Right. So mental skills are very much the same way, but people get a little bit discouraged because they'll read a book or or something and it sounds great. Yeah, just be in the moment. Don't be so concerned about what everybody thinks. You know, that's a big one, right? We don't want to fail. We don't want to look stupid. Um, we don't want to be judged. Yeah, just who cares what anybody thinks? Well, come on, you know, I mean, without that training yourself to and going through situations where you did fall flat on your face and you found out you didn't die and your family still loves you and the sun still comes up the next morning and everything. It's hard to, to, to become proficient without the experience. So with that said, how do, you, how do you start this? You start with, you've got to, you can, you, you start with understanding that you're the one responsible for training your mind. First and foremost, no one's going to do it for you. We've got to do it. Second, um, that starts with ver being very deliberate about choosing the responses that we want to have. 
So Viktor Frankl was an Austrian psychiatrist, and he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. Have you heard of it? Yeah, it's. Uh, I would say this is a must read for everyone. I agree. Or listen like me, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Audible, right? Yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Same here. So that was, a. for those of you that haven't read it or aren't familiar with it, he was an Austrian psychiatrist that, that was put in Nazi, at multiple Nazi concentration camps over the course of three years, I think, maybe, and lived. And because he had the background that he had, he saw what was going on through a different lens than, than people who, you know, didn't I, have that. I think he even said this in the book, like he could tell you when someone give up and they died within three days. Exactly. Like as soon as they give up, he said it was almost within three days and it was his friends. It was mm -hmm. people that he was with every single day. And it was almost... It's really interesting to yeah. see like the psychology of that. Is it, once again, yeah, an amazing book. Yeah, it, you're right. And what he was referring to was when he saw that people gave up their their purpose, they didn't have purpose anymore. That's when they they died. That you know, the, the, or their death was imminent. They had no more reason to live. And so, one of the contributions in him living through this and then and then looking back at his experience was you can find meaning, man's search for meaning, the name of the book. You can find meaning in any circumstances. And that was huge. But where I, the reason I bring that up is because he um, said he's got a quote between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space is your power to choose your response and your response lies your growth and your freedom. So to go back and dissect that between stimulus and response, between what happens and how you respond, there is a space. Now to the untrained person, that space is that fast, right? We just, something happens and we react. Right. But what he's saying is if you can train your mind to open up this space, so that you can choose a response, a deliberate, thoughtful response instead of just reacting with what comes natural. There lies your growth and ultimately your freedom, because you're going to get to start choosing a deliberate response. Yeah, you control how you respond to everything, exactly. and you control your path in life, essentially. Right? If yeah. you can be aware of that. Yes. So if you can be aware, that's why a little bit ago when you're talking about mindfulness, you got to have awareness. A, you have to accept that that's truth. B, you have to have an awareness now of this space. And then getting to choose how you want to respond. So let's go to the high pressure situation you're talking about. And um, I did want to say too, and I got off topic. You start training the mental skills, like we talked about starting out on the dummy when you're learning to rope you got to start simple and slow and as you get more proficient then you add stress and pressure and everything else so you don't just start out in the high pressure situation and be like what do i need to think about what do i need to direct my focus on what you know and it's like me watching you teach me how to rope and i skip all the groundwork and i just get on the horse and back in there and chase a fast steer like not gonna work so we've got to start slow um so anyway there's that um so now what do we do when we're in that situation let's say we've done all the groundwork and everything and we're in that high pressure situation 
we've got to fall back on our training. And man, what is the quote? It's, it might be James Clear and Atomic Habits. Have you read that book or heard of it? I've heard of it. I don't think I've read that. Man, one. it's really good. You don't rise. Oh, I'm going to butcher it. You don't rise to something. You rev, you fall back to your systems that you have in place. Basically, saying that whatever you've habitually done, under pressure, under stress, that's what you're going to fall back to. You're not going to rise to the occasion, maybe. Yeah, I think Navy SEALs have used that quote a lot too. I think it's so, or something similar, like you don't rise to the moment, the occasion, you fall back to your training. Okay. I think that's like a Navy SEAL. Like I, I'm pretty sure that I've heard SEALs say that, but I, yep. I could be wrong. I well, that up. wherever he got it from. Yeah, and, no, and they I, may man, have got it from him. But I you know, be the, the quote or the, the context is yeah. pretty important to understand, right? Yeah, and I can be getting it wrong. It may not even be James Clear in that book. It just, that's what I think it is. But regardless... We don't just start out in that high pressure situation. We've got to have trained it. Um, but when we're there, we're going to fall back to what we've trained, our ability to be present, our ability to direct our focus, our ability to be calm um, when the pressure's on, the ability to have envisioned, visualized, mental rehearsal, whatever you want to call it. All of those things we need to have put in the work ahead of time, front loading and training it and starting out simple. And as we get better, we advance and we advance and we advance. So I don't want anybody to think that just because you read a book or listen to a conversation and things make sense, that then all of a sudden in a high pressure situation, if you've not trained it, that you should be able to implement these skills because they're not trained yet. Think of, tra think of training the physical skill and starting simple and and cross that over to mental skills right okay so there's going to be a few things we'll have to get into later with that let's go back to this moment right we've we have the skills necessary to okay. compete in the moment and th so that also leads to expectations right like mm -hmm. you expect to win or i mean that's the reason yeah. you showed up right yep so if you have expectations mentally how do you manage the expectations which are not in the moment and also failure is a big thing with that when yeah. we have expectations we have fear of failure right yeah so there's all of this uh in our mind right this is the battle i i believe i think that's mm -hmm. what it is this is the con this is the battle of the mental game right is yeah. acquiring the skill necessary trying to bring it forth and managing your expectations along the way. Yeah. Do you have a point of initiation or some way of getting into the moment? Uh, because it is really hard to be mindful all the time. Like I, I, I think this is something, you know, monks strive for. You know, <laughs> right. you know people who are enlightened strive yeah. for. Right. So, is there a point of initiation or a way to to bring that in? Um, to, to get the mental process started? Yeah. So I agree with you. It is exhausting because it requires energy, you know, the, the brain. And by the way, I gotta, I gotta say, I am not a psychologist. I haven't had that training <laughs> or anything. I, I have through my own self-study and gone through some programs and stuff. I help people train mental skills. Okay. So I gotta say, you know, I, I meant to start off by saying I don't have the training of, of being a psychologist or anything. Um, but I have the training of developing mental skills and lifelong application of it. Right. Um, 
So it is exhausting to be paying attention all the time because the brain by default we have is on autopilot often to conserve energy. It takes a lot of energy to constantly be aware of what's happening, how you're responding to it, analyzing it, making changes, choosing the deliberate response all the time. It, it, it burns a lot of energy. Right. So I agree. It is absolutely exhausting. With that said, however, I feel that if someone's going to be effective at being mentally tough, I feel like it kind of has to be a lifestyle. I don't think you get to just be mentally tough in the arena and then not with your family or the, because really it's just, it's, you're training yourself how to handle and diffuse stress. So, you know, when you're feeling the pressure of being high call at the BFI, that that's, your brain's going in, that pressure is the fight or flight response that is just hardwired in your brain. And it's the same thing of not wanting to look stupid being on a podcast and say the wrong thing, or to start a business and have it fail, or to get on a horse that <laughs> I got on a two-year-old yesterday that's a little squirrely, you know, and not be afraid to, to, to get on. So I think mental toughness, you know, I, I don't, and maybe I misunderstood your question, but I don't think you get to just get to turn it on in a certain area or during a certain time. It's kind of just who you train yourself to be and it becomes a lifestyle. Interesting. It's exhausting. Um, is something unique that, that you said with that, right? Because it means you constantly got to be aware of this. And uh, I think of humility has to be the, the, a big thing, right? Yeah. Um, so if, if you're going to be mentally tough, uh, there has to be humility alongside it, correct? Absolutely. So you need to be able to understand how I might not be strong at something. I need to train this. And that's where humility comes in. Yes. Then you need to be confident enough that you have the skill, like you don't break yourself down too much, right? Yes. And that's where this belief system has to be almost in balance, yes. right? Of confidence and humility or so I, I guess let's let's my question is and the and we gotta go back to all, all this. But my, <laughs> right. my, my, my question right. my question was more like um how do you lock it in in that moment? Like what are ways and it can be any moment, but like when when challenges arise and it can be in competition, it can be it, it's going to be every day, mm -hmm. obviously, right? Mm -hmm. If you want to start practicing it and building your mental training, right? Mm -hmm. So when the challenges arise, how how do you start addressing that? Okay. So that's a good question. Or even the task, right? Like, I, I guess instead of a challenge, I'm looking at like a task, like, hey, this is what I got to do. Um, how do you How do you be aware of, doing that to the best of your ability. Yeah. Right? So again, it's going to be trained. You're going to make mistakes. Um, and the humility of dealing with, you know, 
failure or mistakes is really important. Um, whether it's you just didn't respond the way you wanted to or you choked, either way. You know, in this profession, so Stevie runs barrels. Um, in the first year that I did our taxes, that she actually, um, in 2016, when it was the first year we really, you know, were all in with rodeoing. Looking back, she won a check in one out of three runs. And she went into the, to the NFR in sixth place, like 20,000 ahead of 15th. So I was curious. I'm like, wow. So she lost twice as often as she won. And she was sixth in the world. And 15th, who knows what their ratio was, but it was one out of four, one out of five, maybe. I don't know. And they were good enough to make it to the finals, which is everybody's goal. So if you lose at least twice as often as you win, maybe even more than that, how do we handle failure? Because that's a, it's just, it just comes with the territory. So the humility to deal with failure or when you make a mistake is super, super important here. So to kind of go back and answer your question, you've got a decision to make. You're challenged with the task. You have the awareness, you know, you, you buy into, I'm going to choose my response. I'm going to be deliberate about how I want to respond. And you know, ahead of time, what I feel like doing is being nervous, uptight, anxious, whatever. But how I want to respond is to be confident, to be present, to be calm. So all those things are kind of different skills to train by the way, but let's just say, you know, that that's, you've been working on them and you know that that's how you want to do it. You have to be really good at directing your focus. Cause like the natural state of our mind is, um, Michael Gervais is a sports psychologist that I follow and really like. And he uh, said the natural state of the mind is like a drunk monkey. And that makes a lot of sense to me. It is sloppy. It is wild. It is loud. And it's very undisciplined is the natural state of the mind. So we don't have to have our mind <laughs> completely disciplined all the time, but there are times when you need to tell that monkey, sit down and shut up for just a little bit, just for 10 minutes, you know, then you can be wild and swing around <laughs> if you want. And that is, that is a skill, directing focus and, and being aware are the two things that I feel are really, really important because everything else hinges off of your ability to do those things. When you catch your mind thinking about what could go wrong or thinking about looking stupid or the last time you're in this situation, you fell flat on your face or whatever. Nope. Bring it back to the task. Hand. Watch the feet. <laughs> Going back to me. I'm here right now. I'm sitting in the box or I'm getting ready. Watch the feet. Man, the steer, you know, uh, really checked off last time. And what if he sets up this time? Just ride my position, watch the feet. But what happened, you know, this, you got to catch this steer to qualify for the finals. It's Stephenville, Texas, last rodeo of the year. Got to be four or five or faster to qualify. Watch the feet. You know what I mean? Yeah, you have your task, your process, and what you focus on. And that's 
understanding your mind's going to be going pretty fast. And the higher the stress, the faster your mind's going to go, the more you're going to overthink it. I think that's just natural tendency, right? Yeah. So knowing that, okay, that's what I'm doing. I need to, to lock it in. I need a point of initiation. I need to find what it is for me that I, you know, that I do. And then that starts at the beginning. What is our point of initiation when we learn how to rope the dummy? Mm -hmm. And you're constantly building that. And it's probably the same way as you, you're riding horses or doing work. Any, you're living your life. If you can focus and practice your, you know, that, that good mental focus, I think that just increases your ability to lock it in, yeah. as, as I, I kind of would, would say right there. Yep. And it is trainable too, by right. the way. So, um, again, like I said, the mind is used to bouncing all over the place and mindfulness. When I think of mindfulness, I also think of it as, as like mindfulness and meditation can almost go hand in hand a little bit or mindfulness training, I should say would be like meditation. And a lot of people have a weird thing about meditation and, and, Really, when I think of meditation, I'm just, it's just directing your focus on whatever you choose to focus on. Well, right quick, I, I want to jump in on this. And if this is incorrect, let me know. But I think uh, the point of med meditation is to achieve mindfulness. But that happens in the, it's because you get like a flow state. And I mean, to me, I can achieve that mowing the lawn. I, you just get doing something and you just become so in the moment. It's like, and I think it can be done when you're essentially just focused on kind of nothing, but you're doing something right. <laughs> and, uh, and that happens a lot when you, and I think that's where people like find happiness and work, uh, when they get a job that they really kind of get in a rhythm of, and it's, and I think they, you know, once they, they achieve that, it, it kind of, they get into that flow state, like naturally. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that can be done constantly throughout our days. It just, I think yoga, um, meditation practices are ways to really achieve it pretty fast. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah. So when I think of, when I think of meditation, like you can, yeah, you can, it's, the way that I think about it, and I'm sure it's different everywhere, but it's not sitting on a pillow and, you know, humming or anything. It's literally like Headspace is an app that does guided meditations. And it's cool because it's not, it's, it's nothing weird. It's nothing, even in like, it's this in Headspace, it's not spiritual. It's teaching you to have awareness of what's going on in your body, in your mind, your thoughts, and then helping you to direct your focus on what you choose to focus on. And the reason that that is so important is because, you know, in meditation, it can be, a lot of times it's following the breath, essentially, in and out. Well, you're choosing to focus on the breath in that moment. That's no different than being in the high pressure situation we're talking about and choosing to focus on watching the feet around the corner. You're training yourself, you're saying self, Focus on this. It doesn't matter what's going on around you. It doesn't matter. Fo do this. Yeah. And I think, you know, if anyone's like, like just a tip that I think helps me, but um, 
if you focus on the breath, there's a technique called box breathing. And if you're looking for a point of initiation, anytime you feel nervous or pressure, you just focus on the breath and do some box breathing. It's really easy to put you right back in the moment, kind of organize your thoughts and come up with a plan. That's and, great. Tell them what it is. Uh, it's in for four seconds, hold for four seconds, exhale for four seconds, empty lungs for four seconds. And just repeat that. And I just, uh, this was a tip given to me, but just the air, like I just try to really be aware of the air going into my nose as I'm doing it. Like that's yeah. what my focus point is on. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's something that's really easy to do at any point in time, stress, just starting the day. I think it's a, it's a really unique thing that I know, like I, I, I mean, I always do it. Yeah. So that's cool. That, that is one of the best tools and I'll, there's a couple things. One, you can use box breathing as a mindfulness exercise to develop this skill of focus or directing focus. Because in the way that I've used it is I'll take it one step further than what you just explained. Instead of just saying four seconds, I'll actually count to four. It's probably ends up being four seconds. But the point is I'm counting and my, my focus is on the count. And I'm just using the breath to, to, there's a couple things, but I'm focusing on the count. And the reason that that's important is because you can, you can only really think about one thing at a time. Now we can jump back and forth a lot. So it seems like we're multitasking, but we're, we're really just going back and forth a lot. And if we're wanting to, you know, come down to the one thing, if you're directing your focus on the count, you're not thinking about the pressure. If you're focusing on the count, you're not worried that your horse is going to run by the corner or whatever. And those, so that's what makes you ultimately present. What is more present than following the breath as it comes in and out of your body? Right. So you can use box breathing as an actual way to train, just like roping the dummy. Box breathing is a way to train the ability to focus on what you choose to focus on. So so if you're nervous, you're uptight, you're stressed, you're tense, you box breathe. One of the reasons that's helpful is because it takes your attention. If you're able to do it, it takes your attention off of whatever you were thinking about to cause the pressure, stress, anxiety. And now you're focusing on the count. So that's helpful. The backside of that is most of the time when we're uptight and tense, we're breathing very shallow, which creates even more tension and uptightness. And generally, we don't rope the best when we're like this. It's when we're free and, and flexible and, and everything else. So when you're breathing, when you're box breathing, you're getting good inhale and exhale, which is helping relax and calm the body to make it even more likely to do what it needs to do. So you're directing your focus on something to keep yourself from basically thinking about the other things that are creating that emotional response that you're having that you don't want. And you're also breathing and calming the body, having a natural calming effect on the body as well. So box breathing is awesome. I'm glad you brought it up, man. Yeah. Um, I honestly, I forget about it. Like I just, just something I do and I just yeah. apply like I, I, yeah. Okay. So we got to talk about losing, right? Yeah. So, Stevie, the first year she made the finals, 33% win percentage. Yeah. That's a lot of losing. Yeah. All right. So how mentally, how, 
how does losing affect someone mentally? Like what are some of the natural responses? And then knowing going into the rodeo season that you're going to be losing more, you're going to win. What do you think are some ways that like it breaks people? So it's funny. Cause I think about like, you know, I've, I've heard coaches and just different people, you know, show me someone who likes losing and I'll show you a loser. You know, and yeah. I, I mean, I understand no one's getting in it to lose. We're here to win, but also accepting the fact that it's part of the process. If, if you can't accept something that just happens naturally, you're going to just feel frustrated all the time. Because if there's no way around something that you have to deal with, but your relationship with losing, that's, that's what we're talking about is changing our relationship to losing. If, if you have a bad relationship with it, man, it's just going to, it's going to be a struggle all the time because you're fighting the flow of, you know, all the time. So, so thinking about it is changing our relationship with losing. Um, it breaks people because we'll have expectations. And I, I don't think there's anything wrong with expectations. I mean, that's, again, we're not just showing up to see what happens. We're, we're preparing, we're making sacrifices with our time and finances and everything to try to see how good we can be. We want to win. But the, the philosophy that I follow, um, and man, there have been successful people with this philosophy and successful people with the exact opposite. So, but I know what matches my values and the way I want to live my life. And I feel like my goal comes from like John Wooden. You heard of John Wooden? Yep. So one of the best basketball coaches of all time. And, and he, his definition of success is the peace of mind uh, let's see. Success is peace of mind and self-satisfaction and knowing that you made the effort to do the best of which you're capable. Making the effort to do the best of which you're capable. Can you expect anybody to do any more than make their absolute best effort? That's, that's, all, that's all you can do, right? That's all you can do. Yeah, we want to win. And it stings when your best effort isn't good enough to win. It, it does. But... We're in control if we make our best effort. We are not in control if we win. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So I want to learn, and this is a lifelong learning process, but I want to learn to direct my focus on the things that I can control or I can influence. Some things you control which is basically our responses. I mean, I, I can't really think of anything else that I control outside of something internally within myself. And then there's things that I have influence over. I don't control, but based on what I do, I can influence. My horse, when you're roping, do you think you control your horse? This is a, actually a question. <laughs> I mean, yes, I would say I, I do, but the, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, I wish I had more control. <laughs> like, I think I, I like, honestly, I've been, I've been working on some stuff and I'm like, wow, I, I think this is why I'm not as successful as I want to be is because I cannot control my horse well enough. Right. And man, wouldn't it be great if we could control any living thing, quite frankly, Yeah. you know? So I, I would 
say you have absolutely have influence over your horse. 100%. Yes. But I don't believe that you would control your horse because there's plenty of times where something happens Hmm. where (laughs) if you'd had control, it wouldn't happen that way. Yeah. I I think that's a really unique way of looking at it. Cause I, I would say, yes, I have control when like my initial thought. And then I'm like, well, I wish I could control my horse to do this more so I could make steers easier to heal. And, but I, you know, so I can influence my horse in certain ways, but I don't have total control. Um, and a lot of that is probably because I don't even know what I'm, how to ask, you know, that's mm-hmm. probably the, the root of that. Mm-hmm. But anyways. Well, that, no, I mean, but I ask it not to be critical, but because like, this is a question we have to ask ourselves because as we're talking about failure. Yeah. Well, there's, we got to get really clear. What do we have control over? What do we only have influence over? And then what do we have absolutely no control or influence over? Well, the things we have no control or, or any influence over, Man, when those things fly in our face, you, you just, you can't, it is frustrating, but you can't let it take you down. Weather. Um, we don't control the weather, nor do we influence the weather, but it will absolutely 100% affect, in barrel racing especially, the outcome. The We drove all the way from Pinocchio, Alberta, to Williams Lake, British Columbia. It's a long ways through pretty country, but it's a long ways. And they'd had one performance already and it poured rain. And we, we were hoping it didn't rain that much. Maybe they'd flatten out the arena and it'd run off, you know, who knows? So we just go ahead and go. And we get there, you have absolutely no chance. Yeah. So yeah, is it frustrating? Absolutely. Can you do anything about it? No. Why is it important? Because we can't carry that load to the next place we go, which she had to fly out and she made it last hole into Reno that night. So she jumps on a plane and goes to Reno. Do you let the stress from things not working out here, especially when you had no control over it or influence, do you carry that with you? Because now it's going to affect how you, what you do have control over your performance at Reno. Right. So we've got to get super clear about what can we control what do we influence and what can't we um i have tried to make a habit out of only really paying attention to the things that i can control and the things that i can influence okay so now kind of going back to losing i or failure success is making the effort to do my best consistently and that includes preparation. Defining success yes. is very important. Absolutely. It's not a result, right? Yeah. How, how would you, I mean, as you think about it, how do you, how do you define it? Success? Yeah. Uh, or achievement or anything? Yeah, no. Uh, I, I defined that a long time ago at Reno after I'd missed a couple of steers. <laughs> In fact, I was having a really hard day and I was like, okay, what, what does failure and success look like to me in the arena? And it, it became really simple. Uh, it meant doing my best that I could and throwing my rope in the right spot and, and just everything that I thought it took to win in that situation, I, I tried to do. Mm-hmm. And as I looked at that, it made it a lot easier because I, I, I'll miss, but if I miss in the right spot, meaning I can, I usually catch steers from there or that's, that's the, 
you know, like if you got a strong steer, for example, and it will do you no good to run in the middle of him and be eight or nine and you try to throw all of your rope, that is a winning shot to me. Mm -hmm. Like you were trying to win. Like mm -hmm. you didn't just punt the, you know, the opportunity and and be afraid to miss. Yeah. And so that that was like, okay, this is a successful performance. And then I then obviously you knew like, all right, I'm gonna miss a lot. But I just tried to understand that. And then I then I also went to percentages with it a little bit. I was like, I wanted to, to try to be in the high nineties mm -hmm. with where I threw my rope. If mm -hmm. it was it in the right spot. Mm-hmm. And uh, if I and I and I've been able to maintain that pretty well. Um, I miss too many probably, uh, but that's also where like the the failure kind of comes in, right? Mm -hmm. So, so that's good, man. Like that's that's good. But that's I think it starts there. We've got to define success, and then <clears throat> also. So then, what is failure? Well, this is the the big thing, right? Uh, because failure, I mean it's probably the most important thing that we can have uh, because I think you get more out of failing than you do out of winning. Would you, was, is that correct? It is for me. And I would say most people, because you analyze things a lot harder because yeah. failure stings. Don't want to do it again. <laughs> so I would agree. Um, so yeah. So then to me, I, I'm along those same lines. Failure is, is there anything that I had control or influence over that I dropped the ball on? And I, I kind of redefine that honestly as feedback more than failure because. Right I, quick. Would you say feedback is like the process? Yeah, I was where I was going with this. Okay. So I kind of view this process of <clears throat> kind of going back to the or inner game of tennis. I don't, I'm not trying to, to define things as good or bad. Um, as much as I'm just getting feedback and I'll, so here's an example. I'm going to, um, go back to my example, following the feed around the corner. That's, that's what I need to do right here in this run. And, the run happens, got kind of a funny start. I got out kind of late. I got distracted. <laughs> I was trying to ride to my spot and I did not follow the feet around the corner. Still roped him by two feet, but I did not follow I did not follow the feet around the corner. That was my whole goal with this run is if I can follow the feet around the corner, I have the best likelihood of succeeding, of winning. Can I jump in right Absolutely. quick? Absolutely. Um, so I think when this happens like a bad start, something changes, that run feels really fast to you. Mm -hmm. And there's probably black spots in mm -hmm. that run that you don't remember that well, right? Yeah, absolutely. So the focus point is what helps slow the run down. Yes. Okay. So I, that, I feel like it does. Yeah, I, I 100%. Like yeah. there, there'll be times where I'll heal steers and I'll be like, ah, I don't know. It's like it, I got in and, and it happens early in a roping. Yeah. And I know if it feels like this again, I'm not going to make it through the roping. Yeah. I, I know that I have to slow the run down at some point or Absolutely. else I won't survive. Yep. I, I agree completely. Okay. I just wanted to make sure like that, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's, I think this is a lot of people probably feel this. I know that I experience it quite a lot. Like I, it's been, this is what really took me down the, the rabbit hole of the mental game was the black spots and not being able to slow it down. Yep. Yep. So, 
So then going back to my example, that this is what I was setting out to do is all I will say, yeah, yes, I'm here to win without a doubt, but my best. So I go through all the preparation. I've done everything that I can do, but I'm it's first steer first round. And I tell myself based on what's been going on, if I follow the feed around the corner, that that's what I'm here to do. It doesn't matter if I paid a $2,000 man entry fee or nothing. It doesn't matter if there's one person in the stands or not. My job on this steer is to follow the feed around the corner. Why is that important? Because if I've determined ahead of time that that's the best thing I can do to get out of my own way, to ride good position, to allow all my preparation to come out, you know, like I was talking about self one and self two, if that's the one thing that I know that I can do that increases my probability the most to just respond with my training and to whatever happens, get the steer caught, then that's what I'm there to do. And to me, then I'll look back at, after that run and be like, did I do it or not? And it's not just, if you did it, yeah, good job, do it again. It's, it's feedback. The run, I had a clear vision what I wanted to do. I took action. I made the run. I, at the, after the end of the run, I look back and be like, what happened? I'm getting feedback. I got a late start. I was just trying to get to my spot. Things were happening way too fast. I did not follow the feet around the corner. Even if I caught, that's fine. I'm not, I'm not bashing myself for not doing what I wanted to do. I'm just, but I'm getting feedback. You got a bad start and it affected you. You didn't rally back and stay focused. You got distracted. Essentially, you got distracted by the circumstances of the run. Need to keep fo- working on that focus. Yeah, and it kind of takes the result out of it, essentially, totally. because now you're, if you do good or bad, you're just evaluating the run for what it is, trying to figure out, all right, how many times did I do this, how I've prepared, mm-hmm. and then also when you get out of that and you fail at it and you don't do it, you instead of like, oh, I lost, I, I suck, mm-hmm. it's more like, all right, this happened here, That's I need to fix this. Yeah. And then when you go back home, that's you can just start working on that. How many times in a row can I mentally do this? And you know what you know, and you can just evaluate it from there. Correct. Yeah. Like that's this is mental training. Yes, right? that, that's totally it. And my goal is to become the best of which I'm capable. Yep. That looks different for everybody. Some people have more resources, more hand-eye coordination, more years of training. You know, whatever it is. But my goal is to become the best of which I'm capable which makes this a lifelong journey. It's not about the rope in today. It's about achieving the best of which I'm capable. So if that's my focus, that's a long-term view, then it takes the, A, that takes the pressure out of the short-term today, but B, and, and so then, you know, generally for most people, the less pressure they feel, the more likely they are to be calm, relaxed, and let their training come out instead of be tight and constricted and try not to lose. Um, but because I subscribe to that belief, now today's just about feedback. I show up with my game plan. Each run, I get feedback. 
I analyze it. I can make changes that day or maybe changes in the preparation, or maybe it's positive reinforcement. What you've been doing, way to go, man. Like this is improved and keep going. And there's just one steer at a time, one steer at a time, one steer at a time until you get to the end of the day. Your job doesn't change, whether it's a first year of the day or it's a high call steer of the day. Your job, and I'll just keep coming back to my thing of what my job today at this roping is to watch the feet around the corner, whether it's a first year or the last year. And if I do that, my likelihood of winning coming out on top at the end of the day has the highest probability. Does okay. that make sense? This makes, um, this is really simple. Like it, it simplified everything down to me. I, I 100% agree with this and it makes a lot of sense. I want to take you to this now. When we fail to the point of we no longer have confidence or believe in ourselves, mm. mm -hmm. how do you, what, yeah. what happens there? Because that I think this is something like we're, we're talking about their failures important and you can kind of get that feedback mm -hmm. but i i think what i see a lot is people break as you know, we'll just rodeo is the easiest example to use because <laughs> yeah. july 24th people start breaking yeah and a lot of it let's kind of like this will just like my expectations are really high level out of myself and mm -hmm. if i'm not performing at that point my confidence goes my like am i good enough all of these things start to arise so when that happens and you're seeing someone start to break like what are some of the signs of you see them breaking and then do you think that's possible to still stay in the process at at that or kind of take me through that I yeah guess. oh man yeah that's hard right and that's that is why i think hold on why is it hard though because you're fighting against what comes natural. What's coming natural is when things aren't going your way and the way that you thought they should and you're not meeting your expectations. Like your core beliefs, right? Yeah. It's challenging your core beliefs. Totally. Okay. And now, because things are not going the way that I thought, what comes naturally is to want once again, it's the fight or flight response to get out of here. Change. You got, Ch yeah, you don't want to keep... Huh. beating your head on a rock no and it's painful and it's uncomfortable and it's embarrassing or hurtful or what you know you name it and by nature we want to get out our brains were designed to survive not accomplish our goals <laughs> so when you think about this we'll come back oh, okay go ahead. well this is unique because if you run into that situation where it is to that point and it kind of almost breaks you or it doesn't you i think you said it right there our brains are like we want to survive mm -hmm. we don't want it to ever happen again yeah so doesn't that make you build the mental toughness to either a figure it out or b do something different and then never be in that bad of a situation again, right? Yeah, that's what we would hope <laughs> to happen. Okay. But yeah, so when you think about our brains, man, or I'm sorry, our society, prior to, so we're in 2023, prior to, let's say, 1900, maybe even since then, I don't know, 
success wasn't about money, self-actualization, accomplishing goals. It was success was not dying. It was more survival. It was survival. So just within the, when you think about all of humankind, just within the last, let's just say 120 years, success is now being measured differently about resources and everything else. But prior to that, it was just not dying. So the brain, when you think about it, we're we're kind of that same way of just naturally we just we just don't want to die. Maybe <laughs> we want to survive. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess like a couple hundred years ago, killing a bull elk was probably feel like winning the world, or yeah. you know, like it's probably yeah. the same amount of dopamine, right? Yeah, you know totally. what I mean? Like, hey, we're gonna survive. Yeah, like we we've got enough enough meat to to make it. Right? Yes. Okay. So. So now that we, so looking at it through this lens, why is mental toughness and, and performing in high pressure situations and stuff like that so hard? It's because we, like the brain is saying, this is hard. And people's perception of you could change. Your perception of yourself and what you're capable of could change. You could get really down on yourself. The people in your tribe could dis could kick you out because you're not performing. Like going back to the the historical brain here. Okay. So it's like, get get out, get out of this situation. And that that we are fighting when we're trying to train these mental skills of focus and confidence and all this stuff. We are going against the grain of what's coming natural. Does that Think about training a horse. When you're when you're training a not roping horse, when you're training a horse, a two year old, what are you fighting against? Well, hopefully you're not fighting, but what are you trying to get the horse to learn? I mean, trust, like that you're what you're communicating to them is safe, right? They're yeah. fight or flight instincts, right? Correct, and they have the fight or flight instinct for survival. Would you agree? Yes, that's natural, 100%. And you're trying, but in order to get them to trust you and to get on them and to s- submit, basically, they've got to go against what comes natural. They have to learn a different way. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah. So we, we're walking them through this process of going against their natural inclination to learn a different way so that then they can go on and fulfill the purpose that we have for them. So this is very much the same way in, in when relating it back to us and failure and pressure to perform in high pressure situations and stuff. The natural instinct is to want to get out of here. This is scary. This is not good. This is threatening your survival. It's not physically threatening your survival. Now, if they lined you up in front of a firing squad for missing a steer. Now it's a little different, but now it's about, you know, not wanting to let people down, let yourself down, look stupid. It's more of a social thing than it is actually a physical threat. It's a social or emotional threat that we're trying to avoid. Do you think top performers have a tendency to like gravitate towards that more? Um, Like chase, like, like the failure aspect, right? Um, 
I think it it kind of them being challenged, like that understanding of the struggle. Do you think they move towards that more, or what? I mean, mm-hmm. what do like top performers? Because like when we say this, I think of like I think of a few of the top guys in our industry, but like the brand names are like mm-hmm. Tom Brady, Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. They really thrive in that that hardest moment, mm-hmm. and there's very few people that have ever been even close to that. Mm-hmm. What makes those kind of people stand out or that those top performers or successful people come out, you think? Well, based on this, like what we're talking about, this conversation, I think that absolutely, kind of going back to what we talked about a bit ago, they've changed their relationship with stress and anxiety and pressure rather than you know they know that those warning signals are going on in their inside when they're feeling them, but instead of feeling them and following them, they're like, nope, that means that when I feel that, that means I'm, I got to do it now because I'm pushing myself to become great. So I'm going to completely go against what comes natural and this survival instinct. And I'm, I'm chasing this. So yes, I absolutely do believe that they do that. They, they just look at it differently. What the common person would look at and be afraid to do for whatever reason, um, great competitors look at and just say, I don't care what the downside might be. I have to do it just because I'm afraid or just because that I'm scared that this could happen. Now that means I have to do it because my relationship with fear has changed because I know that it pushes me to greatness. I don't want any barriers in front of me and how good I can be. So if there is a perceived barrier there that I'm afraid of pushing, now it means I have to. But can I go back to your failure question again? Yeah, yeah. Because it's super important. What do you do when that person's about to crack? It's July 24th, It's you're tired, you know, which always adds to stress. You're running low on money. Things haven't gone the way you wanted them to. You're disappointed, concerned about your partner and what they're thinking and their family because they're counting on you to do your job as well. So what do you do with that? So I, there's a lot of things. It's tough to just give someone advice in that moment if they haven't been doing the work that we've been talking about, you know, leading up to that and developing those skills. But the one thing that I think is, is super helpful is going back to looking at it from the perspective like we we're just talking about, get really clear at what your job is and what is, what is going to make you successful in that run. Winning is a byproduct of following your process. So get super clear at what your process is. Be disciplined enough to stick with it but kind of also be willing to hold your plan loosely and be adaptable and flex flexible because that's where we can really get into trouble is we stick with something that worked in the past and maybe we need to adapt to a different strategy, but get back in that process and get really clear about what success is and try to just do the things that are within your control or you have the ability to influence like we were talking a little bit about earlier and just get in that box and the things that you can't control and everything else 
you've got you've got to learn to when when they come into your frame of focus to push them out and get back on this and get back to just doing your job whatever that is and then let the results take care of themselves and it may or may not turn around but that that is super important and then confidence comes from that we were talking about confidence a minute ago confidence is i feel like synonymous with trust when you say i'm confident that i can blank what you're saying is i trust myself to do blank would you agree with that absolutely um and and i think that's where this fear kind of comes into play right because how, how do you have confidence if you haven't done it so when you're testing yourself and you're stretching and you're trying to become a better competitor mm -hmm. well that this is the line is like how do you believe that you can do something before you've done it yeah that man that's a good one um well when i think back on my life there's you know a lot of times where i've done something for the first time and because of the way that i look at that a lot of times too i've been really nervous about doing things and because i kind of had the philosophy we talked about of just doing the best of which i'm capable and knowing that i'm going to get feedback really the only way i can fail is just not even try I mean that's that's really a failure. Other than that, it's just feedback. I want to I want to go to this right quick. Okay. Um, when we start to lose faith, I I think that on the other side of this is, you know, we have this idea that we can do something, and it's our core belief, like, hey, this was my destiny. Kind mm -hmm. of. I I feel like that's like there's a higher power, right? Like a God thing. Yeah. That, hey. God wants us to be the best that we can mm -hmm. and meet our full potential. Mm -hmm. So it's our duty to find our full potential and then get to that. Correct? Like mm -hmm. that, that's a big thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we got to have faith. But then there are the times where the faith is challenged. And, and, and that might mean your personal journey. Um, so as your faith is being challenged through, and just through your feedback, we'll mm -hmm. go because I, I like this. Mm -hmm. I like the idea of calling this feedback at this point. It's mm -hmm. not really losing, it's feedback. So how do you start identifying like, hey, maybe this isn't what I was supposed to end up doing. This was just part of my journey. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? Because I, some people would call that like, that's getting close to quitting. That's getting yeah, close to giving right. yourself, like it giving feels up. to me, you're like I'm giving myself a way out. But also, I'm like, well, I, I you know, I, I don't know. How do you, how do you recommend? Like, <laughs> oh that, man, I mean, this is this is diving into yeah. my mind pretty deeply yeah. right here. I would say, okay, that is absolutely a great question, and I'm just going to start off by saying I don't have the answer, right? But I can share with you what I've learned <laughs> um, to help us both through this well it's it's i think i'm asking like what's the purpose of life and the meaning of life so you know what i mean yeah but uh through yeah. our experiences when our faith is really challenged yeah. like what are some ways of handling this right yeah oh man so that is so good with what you're saying and it's not simple 
there's a lot of work that has to be done kind of behind the scenes of, of being really intentional about trying to learn the things that we value and just who we are and what's important to us and, and what we think we're trying to do and, and the kind of person we want to be, you know, there's a lot of work that has to be done to answer that question that you're talking about. There's a lot of work that has to be done there. Um, and so that's, that's where that's going to have to start. As far as getting the feedback and determining whether this is something a person should be doing or not, it's like, uh, are these roadblocks being placed in front of me to build my perseverance? Are they, am I just not meant to do this? Is this literally just part of the game that everybody has to deal with, but I'm so focused on myself that all I see it is I feel like I've got it worse, but really everybody else is going through similar things or has also. Like we have to get really clear about what, because I mean, the answer, those are three very different things. So I believe in Romans 8, 28, it says God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So that tells me that even if I get it wrong and I thought that this was my destiny and I missed it, that God can cause things to work together for my good. So it takes a little pressure off of having to get it right. <laughs> well, it's part of the journey that you needed to probably experience, right? Yeah. So there's that. Okay. Um, yeah. There, then it's always a, a question of also reflecting back, like, is there something maybe you need needing counseling? Not, I don't mean like, well, from I, mean, a, I know counsel. But... Counsel is what I meant. <laughs> I need both. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I just meant counsel of maybe someone needs to look at what I'm doing and maybe they can give me some insight onto what is missing. Well, having uh, close friends or peers that can give you solid feedback yeah. is a great way to know, um, hey, this is, I'm, I'm doing it the right way or there are some things that i could improve on like yep. that i think that there's a lot of beauty in of a friend or a peer that will tell you the truth yeah absolutely and and along with that same line is a mentor or mentors yeah do you do you have people in your life that are in that close circle where you can share things that that you give and this is really important that you give permission to speak into your life because everybody's got opinions you're not looking for opinions, you know, neither am I. But do you have somebody in your life or a few people in your life that you give permission to speak sometimes even the hard truth to you? Yeah. And and I've noticed that uh, the older I get, the more I have to ask. Yeah. Because I, I find that, well, if I would have been listening earlier yeah i would have i would have got a lot further a lot faster yeah. so there's <laughs> right. like there's times where they're probably telling me and i wasn't listening and the older i get the more i'm like yeah hey i i need some feedback so i have uh i have a process that i go through with business decisions and it's really helped me out cool uh life decisions like i, I kind of have different people for different walks but it's it really helps me out but i I've had to understand who I am as a person and my tendencies mm -hmm. and my strengths and my weaknesses oh, and try to 
you know, make sure that I'm not driving some, you know, driving it off a cliff, you yeah. know, or we're going in the right way. Like, does this make sense? Yeah. Uh, outside of like my own mind. Yeah. That's really good. And and it's cool. You hit on different people. It, man, if a person hits a jackpot, if they can find the person that can help them in relationships and business and, you know, everything. But a lot of times, maybe you just find someone who can really help you in one area. Maybe they. Well, I got to jump in. I think so. You hit the jackpot, but you got to be really careful mm -hmm. because I've had a few people that I've really looked up to and they would tell me something or give me advice and I wouldn't see them that often. Like it, they'd be really successful people. And then I would see them a year or two later and they wouldn't even remember telling me these things. <laughs> and I'm holding said, on what? to, I'm like, I'm holding on to it. Like it's the gospel. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm living my life by this. Yeah. And so I learned like, okay, well I gotta be careful like what I listen. And then it also taught me that I have to be able to challenge that person if I don't agree with it. Yeah. And I have to challenge it in a way where I'm like, okay, what, what are the intentions do they really believe this? And if they do, then I'm like, and, and it makes yeah. sense to me. Then yeah. I apply it. When you said that about being really careful, it's so funny. I think about um, Talladega Nights. Have you seen that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you ain't first, you're last. You know, he he tells Ricky Bobby that in the school and then lives his whole life. By it. I live my whole life by that. <laughs> what are you talking about? That day at school, you know, you said, if you ain't first, you're last. Oh, hell, Bobby. I was high when I said that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's no, it's know. it's something then and I think that's where like quotes can be taken out of context Absolutely. and there's just so many things that so I, I really like the idea. Well I, I have a tendency to overthink things. Obviously we're I'm going we're going down a rabbit hole today, <laughs> which I, I told you we were going to do. Yeah. Like I was like yeah. I was ready for, for a rabbit hole. But yeah, that that's kind of I think it's really important to to understand uh, like Hey, when our faith is being questioned, yep. right? When our fear, our confidence, uh, understanding like how the the mind wants to work, and then to be able to address it, right? Yep. It's it's kind of what we've what we've been hitting on yep. so much. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so I wanted to. Uh, I mean, I have a. I have got a few more questions. I know. I know we've been going, but I, I'm gonna. You good with this? I'm keep great, on. man. Yep. So you know, when we talked about this faith, like, what is a rodeo athlete's job? in your mind you mean as far as like what is a rodeo athlete's duty okay like how does because it all works together right the sport yeah. works together yep there okay. there's so much that goes into one athlete being able to to compete and we've proven that it's pretty hard for just one person to, to make <laughs> yeah. it go right yeah so in general like what is the rodeo athlete's job and task to to make to make it you know better or help it grow or wherever it's going i don't know where it's going yeah i would say and i'm going to have to just kind of be talking through this <laughs> because it's a great question first and foremost we have to be very aware of what's good for the group may not be great for me personally so I don't know, do we call that humility? Enough humility to say that I need to be concerned about the welfare of the rodeo committees, the other contestants, the sport in general, the audience, even when, it go, even when it's in conflict of what I think is right or it hurts me personally if it's better for the whole. 
Right. I would say it's going to have to start there. Looking at things as a whole. Yeah. Um, there's, you know, there's plenty of times when radios do stuff that is really inconvenient for the contestants. I mean, San Antonio the other day, there was some complaints there, from, from high level people. And sure. I got to agree with them. And, and at the same time, like, there's a lot of little things like that that happen all the time. Oh, yeah. right? We all do, man, we, you know, as you know, we deal with them all over the place. And so, so when we're challenged with situations like that or anywhere else that we just deal with, you know, just always remembering and just, you know, I guess I, I have this belief that everybody is generally, and I mean, this isn't rodeo, this is just everything. Everybody is trying to do the best they can. Sometimes they get it and sometimes they miss it, you know. Right. But going back to answer your question, you know, as a whole, I just feel like, A, we've got we've to be able to do that. And I think that's just good for life in general. Um, B, I think as a rodeo athlete, it's good to realize that, you know, not to try to be somebody that you're not, but also understand that people are sometimes looking up to you that you don't even know. And if you knew that they were actually paying attention to you or emulating you or trying to make the same decisions that you're making, you might have a little better filter <laughs> through which your words and actions pass through. I think that's important. Um, I think that, and this goes with anything, I think that contributing, how can you contribute? Whether it's contributing, once again, to the committees, to fans, to whatever, I feel like contribution creates sustainability. It's not one or two or three people's job to contribute and carry the whole industry. I think we all have a responsibility. I think like, if people would pick up their own trash, then fairground, you know, like producing ropens. Your family used to produce ropens, right? Yeah, still do. do, still still do. do yeah. yeah. Just imagine how much cheaper facilities would be to come in and put on an event if people would pick up their trash, not clean their trailers out in the parking lot. You know what I mean? Just make a mess and stuff like that. Imagine how much better it'd be for everybody if everybody just did their part. I'm not getting on to people. I'm just saying, you asked me what would... What's a rodeo athlete's responsibility, it's, right? Yeah. It's take care of your stuff. And, and if you take care of your own stuff in a good way, it makes it better for everybody. So right. I don't know, man. Those are kind of the first things that came to my mind. Well, no, I, I think what's unique about this is to make it, to make it grow as a whole. That's exactly right. And then the other aspect that I think is really unique from what I get, what the biggest takeaway that I've gotten out of rodeoing is how hard it is. Mm, yeah. Um, and how, like, the challenges I've went through rodeoing are the, the toughest challenges, like, from a, like a competitor standpoint, like, just question myself. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the hardest times I've ever, I've ever had as far yeah. as, like, that side of it goes. Yeah. And uh, it started all to kind of hit home uh you david goggins fan at all i yeah i know who he is and certainly have followed him yeah so he he talked about this in his second book but he was talking about running an ultra marathon and he runs like oh it's like for 200 miles and mm -hmm. takes him 36 hours or 20 it's a long time mm -hmm. to run these 200 miles and he said in his mind he gained 
six years worth of knowledge in those 36 hours uh, just about himself and the questions you have to answer yeah. and the why he doesn't quit and all of that. And I think that's what I started to relate to with Rodeo is how much mental fortitude you have to start building, how you have to really define your character, like what you can go through, what, you know, yeah. just the different adversity you can handle and keep moving forward. Yep. And, it's like that Rocky quote, you know, yeah. how much you can take and keep moving forward. Yeah. 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 And, and I think that has been um, something that I kind of, I, I, I'm afraid of it. I'm afraid of it every year, mm -hmm. but also I almost like look forward to it when I'm past it by a few months, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. or I, I, like I look back a couple of weeks later after I went through some stuff, you're like, wow, that's, this is crazy that. Yep you know, that, that I was in that situation, right. Or yeah. feeling those, you know, those feelings. So it's I, like an adventure. I mean, it, it, it you know, it, it preparing. So we'll probably go to California in April. Like we always do. Stevie's outdoor horse does good out there. So we have to go. I don't want to go to California for three weeks this year, but we'll have to do it. And along the way, we're going to have to push through some stuff. I don't know what it's going to be, but it's just the name of the game. And then leaving and being gone for three months over the summer, I am a homebody, man. I love being at home. I love having structure and routine and <laughs> you get none of that rodeoing, you know, and it's extremely uncomfortable for me. I've gotten more comfortable. We've done it for seven years now and I've gotten, you know, the whole cliche term of getting comfortable being uncomfortable. I've done that. But it's still uncomfortable. Yeah. And so it goes back to once again changing the relationship with stress, with discomfort. What I want to do is be at home and train horses and do the predictable thing. But what we have to do and what we need to do and what I need to do is to explore the edge of my comfort zone. And by constantly, like if this is my comfort zone, by constantly flirting with that boundary, not going way out here, that's dangerous. You yeah. know what I mean? But just constantly flirting, hoping to expand it. And I can look back and say that it has expanded. Like you, man, you look back and then you're grateful for whatever it was, good, bad, whatever. I, I, I want to continue to push the outer edge of my capacity. Once again, remember I said my, my goal is to become the best of which I'm capable. So if that means my capacity is that, or that I don't know, but I got to flirt with that edge of comfort to expand it. Was there a moment with like you and Stevie where that happened and you pushed through and it was like kind of a make or break and it was like a bit like looking back at it, it's more like an aha moment. Like hey, this was a big breakthrough and we we almost didn't push through. Yeah, a, a lot actually. <laughs> yeah, I can think of several, but the biggest and most obvious one is choosing to rodeo in the first place. So. It was my dream. I went to college at Stephenville and got a business degree. And the more that I roped and after college, I just kind of was a little more disenchanted with roping for a living. And a lot of because of what I mentioned, I like the structure and routine and stuff like that. And so I, I kind of chose to go a different path. And, um, so then worked and did different things. Stevie then had a dream to run barrels and to go to the NFR. And in 20, 
14 or so, 15 maybe, she got truck, which is Quattro fame from some, that's a whole nother long story, but just some awesome, wonderful people in our life that came at the right time and gave us opportunity. And we had to make a decision. Are we going to do this? Like, are we going to try to go for it? And what that looked like through a lot of prayer was I'm going to quit my job. I was working in the marketing department at the National Cutting Horse Association. And Stevie was training outside horses and she's an x-ray tech too, and was working PRN at a hospital. And we were going, I was going to quit and start coaching. And Stevie was going to send her horses home and not quit because she could still be PRN, but we're going to, we're going for it. I would never advise anybody to do that, by the way. <laughs> Two people quit their jobs to rodeo. I mean, come on. But I'm, I said, we prayerfully considered it because we were led to do this. I know that. Like I Did you know it? I mean, it's, it's obvious now. Yeah. But in the moment? Yeah. I felt like it was because, so when I'm faced with these decisions, I go with where I feel peace. Not, and a lot of times peace does not mean it is the easiest. It might be peace. No, and you're pointed towards chaos, basically. Yeah, or like, you know, you hear the eye of the hurricane, you're yeah. in that spot and stuff's going on all around you. So we were following the peace and we both felt it. And we both asked for a ton of confirmation, by the way. I mean, almost to the point of, all right, I need to see a penguin walk by with a polka dot umbrella. Did and you, if that happens, I will know that it's few. <laughs> uh, well, did you have peers that you asked about doing this? Yes. What did they say? Follow the peace and we'll pray for you that you- We'll pray for you. Will, <laughs> but, and I think they really meant it. It wasn't the cop out of good luck, man. Yeah. Uh, I think we had a lot of people really do praying for us for wisdom. Did you have any people say no? Like, this is a bad idea. I had people with reservations, but I think that they're mature enough spiritually that they know that I can't tell you what to do. I don't know what God's plan for your life is. So who am I to tell you? No, I can tell you what I'm concerned about, but you follow where you feel led. Which is vital because yeah. if you, they raise these questions like, hey, this could go wrong. This mm -hmm. could go wrong. This is probably going to happen. This is where it's going to lead. Yeah. And you can say, hey, yeah, I know I'm comfortable because it's not good to have yeah. those things happen and, and not know. Like yeah. You kind of got to be prepared for a lot of things, right? You do. And But what, what made us also okay with the decision, so the peace, what we had to do, and I think it's really beneficial for people who's, who are faced with big decisions like that, is our, we were okay with the worst case scenario. So I felt like the worst case scenario for me personally was uh, um, I could go back and I had enough contacts kind of in, I used to work for the USTRC and then uh, NCHA and there was enough skill to offer the marketplace that I feel like I could get a job if I needed to. And you probably weren't working your dream job then, right? No. It's not like, you're no. like, hey, like I didn't love, like this isn't what I was meant to be doing. Absolutely right? not. Okay. Um, but that was the worst case scenario. Stevie's worst case scenario is she get more horses. So it could be, might take a while for all this to come back together, but it's not like we're going to be living under a bridge completely broke. 
Right. So we were okay with that worst case scenario. We were comfortable with it. So I think when you're comfortable with the worst thing that is realistically going to happen, not, yeah, I mean, it could go absolutely terrible and we could be under a bridge, not likely. So if you go with the likely worst case scenario and you're comfortable with that, then what is there to lose, you know, at that point? So you guys, like, that's one thing I, I think a lot of people don't understand. Um, I mean, rodeo is expensive, right? Oh, man. But it's expensive for everyone. It kind of, no matter how much you spend on a rig, how much you have, like, it still costs a lot. Yes, it does. You guys probably don't have a lot of money ready to go on this. Like, mm. this is, so you got to have a lot of faith. Like, yeah. hey, we're, you know, we're going to have to figure it out, right? Like, yeah. this is, I think that's one of the things that a lot of people don't even try for that reason yeah. is money. So was that something that concerned you or even like, how, how did you address that? It was probably my biggest concern. Right. Um, and so the people that we, we ended up buying truck from them, they owner financed us, gave us a great deal. And we're also completely in our corner. And it was honestly their idea. They said, you should, because we were voicing our concerns to them. And at this time, Truck had, had, you know, won some money at barrel races and stuff, but he, everybody hit barrels on him, including Stevie, you know what I mean? Yeah. But that she might hit barrels to win, like he would clock, but it just it doesn't matter if you hit a barrel. So their advice was open up an account, decide ahead of time how much money you want to put in it, how much willing, how much are you willing to spend on this? Not in the middle of it when you can justify and I'm almost there. And if I just drew better, if you know, whatever, but step back ahead of time, how much money are you willing to spend on this? And then as you make money, you keep putting it in that account. That's your account. That's your expense account. And I would love to say and we never had to make another deposit again, <laughs> but it did not work that way. But Stevie and I were both on the same page. We started with the money and they, and, and, um, the owners of truck also said, here's a thousand bucks to put in it, which was so cool. Right. We're buying the horse from them and they give us a thousand dollars. And, um, we had to, we had to make some deposits before we started depositing some winnings, but we were both in agreement with that. And so that's how that started. Then the money's still a concern, man, because it, the one thing that I struggle with with rodeo, and it's just the way it is, but like in, in other mainstream sports, when you've developed a skill set and you get drafted or you're on the team or whatever, yes, you still have to perform. Absolutely. But you're not starting over with everybody else in the draft every single year and having to earn your spot. You, you have to keep working, no doubt, and be of value to the team. But with rodeo, October 1st, everyone's on an even playing field. And you got to earn your way all the way back there again. There's no riding... You know, like I get to rely on my years of experience, dedication, hard work, 
I'm starting over with everybody else. And that's tough because you have good years and you have years that aren't so great. So, and then the fact you're paying your own expenses and stuff. So I view rodeo, actual rodeo as the platform to develop whatever else it is that you're wanting to develop to make a living. That's the way that I see it. So rodeo provides a platform for you to be an advocate for your sponsors. It provides the platform to give you credibility to do this and what you do. Because when you have a conversation, you're coming from a place of understanding and knowing, and you can relate to people. You know, I follow your podcast. I, I wanted to tell you at the very beginning, I was excited to have this conversation with you because I am a follower of your podcast because you do a good job interviewing. And the reason you do a good job interviewing is because you can empathize with the people you're talking to because you live it. Yeah. Or I'm looking for advice. <laughs> Either way, man. But, and so that's why your, your business is successful as well, though. You have credibility and, and everything else. Um, so I feel like rodeo is a platform for whatever it is, selling horses, training, training horses and, and, and um, doing clinics and schools or starting some other business and just using your name or advocating for your sponsors. But to me, that's where the more sustainable money can come in and that's how you're able to use rodeo and not try to make it something that it's not. Cause the moment you stop competing, if you don't have these other things in place, man, now what's a guy going to do? Yeah. You need to leverage other opportunities or just constantly like be learning and how to apply yes. these, these skills. Cause it's kind of like the school of hard knocks mm -hmm. is what it really is. Mm -hmm. Um, no, I want to 100% agree. It's that's my my biggest challenge with this. I'm like, it's it's fun. There's times where the highs are really high, but there's just not a lot of future in it um, financially. Not sustainable. That that's right. That's where yeah. I always come down to. Because man, we can have great years, but I'm I'm interested in sustainability. Yeah, you know. And so yeah, that's that's how I look at it. And and also trying not to wait until the end. And then get everything started, trying to get it going now right. in, in the middle of it. But competing at an elite level, it's also a distraction because there's times where you're focused on doing this or you're out filming it somewhere else or doing, and you're not roping. Right. And we've got to be willing to pay that price. You know, internally, we got to know, is this worth it? Yeah. Yeah, it's different for everyone, but well, no, and I think that's uh, these are the questions you got to ask yourself yeah. because um, you're developing a skill that at some point will not financially pay off. Yeah, and so you've got to put so many hours into this to even be able to compete at a high level, and then at some point, it's those skills are going to diminish, and other guys are going to be able to beat you, and you're not going to be compensated for that skill. Uh, the same way, you know, you're, you're going to use it. So exactly, you know, and it's not a business you can sell, no. you know, or anything like that. So once you hang up the rope, you know, hopefully, like you said, leveraged some other things. Um, otherwise it'd be a little pretty tough. 
Yeah, and I think a lot of people have fallen in that trap, and there's been some really successful guys in the rodeo arena, and as they've retired and stuff, it's been a hard transition for them. Mm -hmm. And it's unfortunate uh, just that there's not more money in the sport mm -hmm. because of it is pretty incredible what what animals are doing, what people are doing. It's mm -hmm. it's pretty it's pretty wild. And the 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 way that people have to dedicate their lives to achieve that, and the sacrifice that it takes, it. Um, I agree, man. I wish it. I wish people could just make tens of millions of dollars doing it. Right. I I got one more question before before I let you go. Um, you know, going back to the the mental side of things and mental training. Um, I guess obviously we, we should talk about your book. What for? Oh. for I, get that. <laughs> I kind right. of dove right into it. Like what what made you decide to write a book on on mental training and and being a like being competitive, right? Mm -hmm. Being a competitor. So. Uh, part of when I said we decided to rodeo, I was going to also start coaching people. I, I was extremely nervous about doing that. Um, extremely intimidated. Who am I to help anybody do anything? Um, so that same self doubt and stuff that anybody would feel who's doing something they've never done before. Like we're talking again. Uh, and so I started coaching people and I would give other books as, as resources like Mind Gym or something, uh, still do, great books. But I also know the importance of like, like devotions and, you know, reading the Bible is something I still do every day. And I was like, there's really no mental training devotions that I know that I've seen where it's like a one that every day just small three to 500 words, something to get you focused on mental training. And so that's where that idea came from. But at the same time, I was writing stuff and putting on Facebook for, you know, to push coaching and, and draw attention to, to that's what I was doing, um, like content marketing, basically. And it's like, I could just take, because that's about the size of most of those posts. And I'm like, what about just compiling those and then now that i know that that's my focus adding more to it providing some structure and making my own devotion strictly for the people that i'm coaching so that between our weekly sessions they have something that they can read that i know the things that we're working on and kind of direct them towards it so i can relate to them throughout the week in between our conversations so that's and then it's like well what about just making it a book <laughs> instead right. of something a, a piece for the people that i was coaching so that's how that started i love that idea um like i i, I told you in our first conversation one of my favorite books was the daily stoic yeah and it's a very similar concept and I, and what i get out of it is constantly going back to something day in and day out mm -hmm. it really pops in my mind later that day or so like i just kind of something i like i try to i try to go to early in the morning and then throughout the day, I'm always like, it just kind of seems to be popping up in random spots where I apply it and yeah. it starts building these habits. And I was like, okay, this is really, really smart because I, there are times where I like, I'll take a book and if I, I don't read a ton of books, but I do listen to a lot of them on audio mm -hmm. and I get too much information mm -hmm. too fast. Mm -hmm. I, I think like I don't absorb as much as I, I <laughs> wish I could. So I'm like, I'm re-listening to them or, and, and it's the same way, but I, I like that aspect of this. It's like, hey, how 
and and obviously the devotional I think is really important too as far as understanding faith like we talked about yeah. and and really being able to tie it all together. I think this is it's a unique thing that you know that you've done. I think that's uh, it's it's really interesting to to hear and kind of see that you know. Yeah, thank you. It's been it's honestly it's been cool that uh, for anybody that reads it you can buy it on Amazon. But and and what's the name of it? Oh, it's called Mind Fuel. Mind Fuel. Yep. And uh, like mindful, yep. mind fuel, yeah. I like that. Yeah. So anyway, um, it's not meant to just be read from cover to cover. You know, like, you can read it. It's going to seem pretty repetitive, though, if you just do that. And then the other thing is, I, man, it's not about, I can empathize with what you're saying about when you consume a whole book. I forget way more than I ever apply. And so... I can confuse knowledge, like getting knowledge out of a book. Knowledge doesn't do me any good if I don't do anything to apply it. So in Mindfuel, it's just, it's the little pages, but it, every, every page ends with today, choose to. Right. Going back to the power of choice. We all have that power of choice. Be intentional about choosing to fill in the blank. And so anyway, it's, it's, I kind of wrote it for myself too. Yeah. You know, it's awesome. Yeah. I, I think it's a, it's a big, it's a big step. It's something, you know, really yeah. cool to, to, to go after. All right. So this question I, I had it wrote down early that I, I didn't quite get to, but you know, we talked about um, being able to see and visualize, right. Mm -hmm. How much can you learn from just visualizing the run and, or the task in hand mm -hmm. and, and how to apply that in, and more specifically, like uh, I had read a book that talked about visualizing the task, then doing the task, then as soon as it's over, visualizing doing it correctly, mm -hmm. and you could turn one into three. Mm -hmm. Do you agree with that? And then can you talk to me about just visualizing, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think it's, it is another mental skill that a person can develop and train. What most people will find out is when they sit down to try to do it, we'll see that drunk, sloppy monkey come into effect. It's really right? hard to visualize. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, have a, I struggle with it. Yeah. And, and so visualization can also be a mindfulness exercise to train your ability to focus. Because what we're saying is we want, we want to focus on envisioning the run. Let's just say, for example... And then it's like, I'm hungry and, oh man, I need to do this later today. Oh, what time is it? You know? And yeah. so we just find out how distracted we are, but visualization is, is a great thing. Um, I've heard a, a different term. I've heard mental rehearsal. I've heard imagery. Um, of course, visualization is the most common one. I, I've moved towards mental rehearsal. I like that too. Yeah. Because for this reason. Visualization is use when I hear that it's only one of your five senses: vision, yep. taste, touch, smell, all that. Um, what makes mental rehearsal effective is not just seeing it like you're, you know, sat back watching TV. What makes mental rehearsal effective is immersing yourself in the situation using your sense, all your senses as much as possible. Most importantly, feeling it. So like, think about this, a heading run. You're sitting there, 
if you're just watching it, it's like you're wearing a GoPro and you're riding in, circling around, you know, back up, nod, see your start, all that. That, I mean, I mean, I'm not going to say that doesn't help, but what makes mental rehearsal of really effective is like feeling it as if you, as if it's happening. Because it becomes more familiar when you're doing it, right? Yeah. Like that, because the the whole point of rehearsal is like to build a skill. Um, you're basically training your subconscious mind, right? And so, I I, I think this is correct. If it's not, mm -hmm. just tell me. But your mind doesn't really differentiate the the subconscious, like a rehearsal. You're running that, and then you actually doing it. Mm -hmm. It's probably a stronger feeling because of all the senses you get if you're mm -hmm. like physically doing it, mm -hmm. but probably the closer you can get to it, like you're saying, rehearsing mm -hmm. it, the more it like helps develop that skill. So it's like you can basically be training while you're playing in your bed. Yeah, that's exactly right. So there've been so many studies done about people doing, you know, um, mental rehearsal versus people that only work on the physical thing that they're doing the you know whether it's golf or shooting hoops or i mean there've been so many different studies but they all basically come back and with the same result that imagery when mixed with working on the physical skill absolute image sorry i called it imagery mental rehearsal along with actually working on the physical skill is what creates the most effective change you're making connection when you're immersing yourself in that it is the closest thing to actually doing the task that there is and yes apparently the mind is unable to differentiate what you thought about sometimes and what actually happened <laughs> i think about you know i tell stevie i said that and she said no you didn't did I just think it or did I say it? You know, I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know. I, I do that all the time. Yeah. So, but that is, I mean, there's no denying it. It's, it's been proven. So what do we do? What do we do with it? We try again to immerse ourselves as much as possible, feel it. So as you are, as you are, let's take visualizing the run. Like feel even what you're thinking about the tension in your body or not. Is it hot out? Is the wind blowing? Are your shades on? Is your horse lathered up? Kind of on the muscle? Um, do you hear the steer fight in the chute? Yeah. You know, all of that. What does it feel like to have the rope in your hand? Have it tucked under your arm? Whatever it is, the tension on the reins. Like paying attention to all of those details. That's what that's what makes that work what what you'll find out not only when you go to do it other than distraction is a lot of times it feels like it's happening so fast you can't keep up with all of the stuff that you're trying to see and feel and everything here and so you may have to slow it down it's almost like slow motion so that you can keep track of everything because i know when i do it i mean it seems like it happens like that and it's like it just blacked out because you're trying to do more than just see it right you're trying to engage all the senses as much as possible to make it a real experience 
So anyway, don't be afraid to slow it down. Um, and don't be too hard on yourself when your mind is jumping all over the place. Right. And there's one other benefit too, I, I, I believe is, I mean, sometimes mentally you'll make mistakes and you'll see yourself making a mistake. Mm -hmm. And, and that does happen. I, I believe, I mean, it does to me, if mm -hmm. I, uh, but also you get the opportunity to do it. Perfect. Yep. And I think that like how you see it going, if you can really get that image clear, like, Hey, this is how I want it to look. This is how it feels to me. If you can really define that, uh, it just, it gives you that opportunity to do that. And, Absolutely. And I know like me heading the, the horns, for example, like, um, there's times when my loops don't hit just right, but when I kind of see it happening before and after they mm -hmm. hit just right, they sound right. Mm -hmm. Like everything, mm -hmm. everything is correct. Yes. And, and I think it really offers an opportunity to excel your learning. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I, I, I don't know if, like I'm a believer in the 10,000 rule. Like I thought probably about 10,000 correct reps to get it, kind of get it down. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's an easy way to, to cut that into a third. Sure. And I wanted to hit on what you said too, um, get to do it three times. Think about it, it happens and then reflect back. Man, that's, that's a cool way too. So like you go out and uh, you make your run and you get your feedback. And it's like, I rope the outside leg and it's because I was just trying to beat the steer to the ground. My rope hit at the same time as feet did, just stabbed an outside leg. Go back. You just saw that run happen. It's fresh. Feel that how you would have corrected it. Right. And see and feel and, and correct the, I'm so, I mean, I want to go back because you were right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you get the feel for me. That's where I learned the most. So like, for example, I'm going to go to heading, but like a steer ducks his head and I might, might've popped it off, but I, if I can like feel like, all right, that's how that should have, that loop needed to feel where that needed to go. Mm -hmm. And I can see myself heading. I'm like, it just makes it where the next time coming around, I, I kind of react better when I see it. Mm -hmm. And, and it, it just, that's where like feel, I believe like really helps performance. I agree. I've been having to do it because I started heading because I'm on Stevie's barrel horses all the time. So and try it. It's a long story. So anyway, now I'm I'm heading. I've right. never headed other than <laughs> just off of a heel horse at random times. And I was having a really bad habit of roping and losing my position. I was where I wanted to be. Yeah. And I'd rope and I'd let my horse start dying off. And now I'm trying to turn the steer from back here, you know. And I really had to envision and feel what it was like to go up, rope, and keep going forward. Yeah. As I pulled my slack, dallied and started widening out, you know, and stuff. And so, I, I mean, that's a real life example that I've been doing and it, it is helping. I, I know it's helping because I, <laughs> I get a rope about once every two weeks. And so I'm not getting to rope enough to change that habit. Right. But because I feel like I'm really thinking about it and feeling it, I'm getting to start, I'm starting to make that change even though i'm physically not getting to rope that often right because the awareness is there correct yeah I, I think the same thing um this is i'll just give you guys one more example we went and i uh, did a video shoot with ren richard and uh he kind of he dove into like handling steers and facing which i think i'm really weak at and a few things that he like a drill he showed me 
how to do, I am literally going through at, at a walk, at mm-hmm. a trot. I'm trying to like understand what this feels like all the time and like trying to. So then when I do get making the run, I'm like, okay, this is, you know, this is what it's going to feel. This is the cues I'm going to be giving. Yep. And, uh, and I can like, I'm trying to prepare my mind to, to give my horse these cues and to have them ready for this to, to help that. And, yep. and I think that's just like the process of learning and getting better. Right. Mm-hmm. Like there's constant things that we have to apply, but the faster that, that's how we separate ourselves who can who can learn them and then apply them and then use them efficiently those that's how a person separates himself real fast yep absolutely well thanks again i this was really fun i like i said i i enjoy this aspect of the mental training being you know the competitor side of it and just kind of how the mind works so it's unique because i get to learn so much i really appreciate you coming on yeah man like i said i am a follower of this podcast and i love it and and two analytics sitting down and talking i have no idea how long we've been talking but i bet it's been a while and anybody who listens all the way through god bless you because i mean we it got pretty detailed you know yeah. and uh but i love it i love going you know into deep conversation so thanks uh, man i appreciate it thank you